people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Hello and welcome to Twelve Rules for What. This is a podcast about fascism, anti-fascism, and the far right. My name is Alex. And it's been a bit of a while since we've caught up on our kind of bread and butter, which is the UK ethno-nationalist scene. Um, we've done a number of episodes on them through the years of the podcast, um, looking at Mark Collette and Pierre and, and others as well. And for a lot of those episodes, we were joined by, I, I guess, the UK's leading experts on the on the ethno-nationalist right, Red Flair. Um, so we're again welcomed, uh, welcoming Alan. Welcome, Alan. Uh, hi, how's it going? Good to be back. Yeah, good to good to have you. Um, for those of us, for those of the listeners who aren't, you know, haven't been keeping up or have forgotten, um, could you just like introduce yourself? What is Red Flare and, and what have you been guys been up to? Uh, yeah, Red Flare is a, a collective of anti-fascist researchers um, who. Have been using since around 2020. We've been using a range of methods, uh, a combination of open source and you know more sort of journalistic investigative methods to look into research, document, expose um, a number of kind of groups on the far right in the UK and also uh, specific organisers and activists within them. Nice. And just a quick follow-up, you've worked with a number of media organisations, like, main, I guess, mainstream media organisations, The Times being the most mainstream of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why, why, why was that? Like, why did you um, decide to work with journalists who aren't, who aren't like, particularly activists? Uh, it's a good question, because for a long time, we, <laughs> we were really struggling to kind of... Um, get journalists to work with us and to be alert to what we considered to be uh, the threat posed by, in this case, patriotic alternative. Um, you know, it's only relatively recently that uh, they kind of broke into the mainstream, I suppose, and, and relatively recently that most newspapers and news outlets in the UK started paying them proper attention. Um, so I can remember, I think maybe 2020, we approached the Guardian. I can't remember what it was about specifically, but you know they were of the opinion that PA wasn't, um, you know, it was still like too fringe for them to cover. Um, and we kind of ended up crossing paths with uh, Dominic Kennedy, who I think is the investigations editor at the Times, uh, and he had a kind of really good understanding of uh, patriotic alternative. I think he covered the British National Party, uh, you know, some years ago. So he was kind of familiar with the, had some sort of background context on the British far right and some of the specific organisers and personalities that would later come to be in PA. Um, And yeah, you know, he kind of, he was kind of doing his own homework on stuff and we didn't have to, uh, you know, do all the research for him. But he was we were able to work closely with him on a, on a couple of uh, big pieces on, on PA and uh, some of their activists. And I guess now that there's more attention being paid to them, 
and to this particular section of the far right, you know, because Red Flair have been in on the ground floor, as it were, have been banging the drum from before anyone else was paying attention, it gives a certain kind of, um, and not cachet, but like a certain credibility to, to reporting now. Yeah, maybe. I'd like to think so anyway. <laughs> for those of us, for those listeners who haven't listened to previous episodes, maybe, um, I think it's fair to say that PA have, after a period, a few years of like, kind of growth and and success, uh, however small, uh, have experienced some turbulence in in recent months. There's been a number of splits, some splinters, and like you said, you know, we just discussed the expose, um, increasing tension by the media. How has the landscape changed for them um, over these past few months? Uh, well, I reckon it maybe makes sense for for some of your listeners who have maybe not listened to previous episodes to briefly kind of recap on kind of what patriotic alternative is. So, patriotic patriotic alternative is an attempt to kind of regroup the kind of British fat British fascist tendency in a in a party organization really for the first time since uh the the kind of collapse of the British National Party in the 2010s um it was established in, in 2019 by Mark Collette who uh many years ago was a kind of key figure within the British National Party and I think he was he was ahead of the, the, the BNP's youth wing. Um, but he was also, um, importantly, seen by many people as kind of Nick, Nick Griffin's kind of protege and was kind of tapped to be the, the kind of the next leader of the BNP when uh, Griffin stepped down. Now, obviously, things worked out quite differently. They, they fell out in rather dramatic form. Um, the party collapsed. And for for a long time, or for several years, Collett kind of receded from the receded from a kind of organisational role within the British far right, and he kind of reappears around about 2016, um, you know, alongside Trump and and the, the rise of the alt right. Um, trying to kind of reinvent himself as an alt-right uh, live streamer. And, you know, he has this weekly live stream called, initially called This Week on the Alt-Right, and then after the kind of uh, the alt-right collapses um, in the wake of Charlottesville, he rebrands it as Patriotic Weekly Reviews. This is a weekly talk show where he has on and interviews guests, people like Richard Spencer, etc., uh, etc., uh, and over the next few years, he kind of brings together a kind of a number of other content creators and begins to kind of cohere around him um, a kind of new generation of, of British ethno-nationalist and fascist uh, YouTubers and live streamers. And it's out of this that in 2019, Patriotic Alternative is is born, really. So in September 2019, PA hosts its inaugural conference, which features, um, you know, a number of these kind of online far-right personalities doing speeches. 
And, you know, it's very clear from the outset that Collett's aim with this, uh, his kind of project with Patriotic Alternative, is to take this kind of new wave or new generation of people that have been radicalized online um, as part of the alt-right and what came afterwards and basically bring them back into the real world um, and start to engage them in real-world political organizing. And, you know, in this respect, PA has been pretty successful. Um, you know, they've established over the past, you know, over the kind of four years since they were founded in 2019, they've set up regional groups all over the UK. Um, they've hosted a number of um, national and local, sorry, ho they've hosted a number of national conferences and most of their regional groups are hosting regional events on a, on a sort of uh, monthly, if not weekly basis. So you've got, for the first time, um, people that have been radicalized, mostly people that have been radicalized online on YouTube by Colette and the people around him meeting other like-minded neo-Nazis, uh, networking in person, organizing together and doing activism in the real world. Um, so that's a story of PA so far, I guess, up until, up until quite recently. Part of the challenge, I think, for them has been a lot of their act although you are correct you know a lot of there's a lot of regional organizing a lot of it's been quite i guess more internal to the far right itself or with amongst the far right um far, far right activists so it's a much more focus on community building rather than political outreach to people who are not fascists or not or not on the far right are not nationalists and i i guess part part of the difficulty is stepping beyond that well yeah, I mean, as we'll get on to in a minute, this is this is one of the things that they their detractors have criticised them for, and you know, I'm not I'm not sure that that's you know, if I if I kind of take their perspective uh, and think about it from from a perspective of somebody that wanted to you know promote ethno nationalism, um, I'm not sure it's necessarily a bad. Um, strategy for them you know they've quite sort of carefully and methodically built up a kind of cadre of activists um, all around the UK who are net networked at a regional level and one thing we've always said you know from the very early days of, of PA doing this is that the relationships and experience that is being developed through uh, PA is the current vehicle for it are going to have implications for far-right organizing in Britain for, you know, decades to come, right? So, okay, it, as as we'll get on to discuss in a moment, you know, PA is on kind of rocky rocky ground, but, um, you know, many of the relationships and these kind of informal networks that have been created through Colette's organization will continue to organize, you know, under some one banner or another, right? Um, and actually, it's only... Just coming back to your the second point around the uh, like outward facing, um, you know, propagandizing, I suppose. Uh, they have, yeah, I think there's always there's a question of like who PA's audience is, and for a long time, 
so one of the things that's always been striking about PA is is their like how extreme their messaging has been and their reluctance to sort of tone it down even a little bit. And I suppose you know that's a if you if you view their the purpose of the organisation so far as being one of, of you know building a hardcore of like minded committed neo Nazi fascist activists that you know communication strategy makes sense for them right they're trying to bring people that share their worldview on board they're not necessarily trying to reach out to the general public um and i think that maybe you know with these kind of new one of at least with homeland who we'll get on to talk about in a moment i think that's one of the big changes that we're going to see is that they're going to start to pivot towards uh, a style of messaging um that is intended to be you know more widely received by what they would call normies right they're not going to be oriented towards um people that are already on the on the far right yeah i mean i think just to go back to the point you first made like i think part of the danger of pa at least from my perspective is the fact that they're making these they're, they're creating fascists and far-right activists who are you know going to be dedicated for a long time like they're comfortable with being far right they're comfortable with being ostracized from large parts of society and 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 comfortable with the fact that they might get opposition from anti-fascists or from you know general members of the public and are okay with that as well and i think that can't be underestimated as a kind of new a new force um in britain that we have to we have to contend with to move on to these these splits then there's you know pa have undergone a couple of of splits in the in the past few months um, the most significant of one is won by a new party called homeland which has been led by the former uh, a former leadership official kenny smith who is big in the scotland region um and this is the one which a lot of regional organizers have joined and have created like a have got the most kind of coherent critiques of pa's strategy um what are the critiques that homeland have of, of pa it depends on who you listen to, I suppose. So according to Kenny Smith and the detractors, the there's the critiques are kind of around the you know two or three main issues. Um, the first, probably the most prominent of which is, I guess there's kind of two sides to this. They kind of see PA as having been too, too focused on producing online content too focused on and on streaming at, at the expense of not enough focus on doing electoral politics and doing uh, community politics. So, um, you know, there's quite a bit going on here. So PA have tried and failed, I think, six times. They are now, I believe, on their seventh uh, attempt at registering as a political party with the electoral commission and their applications have been rejected on what would seem to me to be quite sort of spurious grounds by the electoral commission um you know for my money it seems like uh somebody has said you know okay let we want to uh, put some roadblocks in the way of pa um in being able to register as a as a political party uh or maybe it's because it's also down to in, incompetence on pa's part um certainly their their detractors think it is largely due to 
uh, incompetence. I'm not. I'm not necessarily necessarily convinced of that. Um, the other thing is that you know, as much as they claim to want to register as a political party, um, we know that a number of PA's activists um, do not believe that there is a viable electoral route to power uh, for them. I think, you know, rightfully so. Um, and that th for, for some of their activists, um, you know, in spite of this, there, there is an interest in electoralism, but only really as a vehicle for publicity and for recruitment. Um, so if you understand that, then it, it makes it makes more sense why there's perhaps this kind of um, their attempts at registering as a political party have been have been somewhat, you know, half assed. Another kind of related issue to this is that Collett and his deputy leader, Laura Melia, have, they find themselves in a bit of a bind because they're now in a situation where they, they basically both earn a, a living through live streaming and through the donations that they solicit whilst doing their live streams. You know, they're effectively both professional racists and it's going to be quite difficult at this stage when they're so widely known to to find any other source of income right uh so in, in many ways they're, they're kind of tied to this um and they have to continue doing streaming no matter what they um think is like the most important thing to focus on politically so that's all of those things come together as kind of one one of the criticisms that, that's been leveled at them by Kenny Smith and other detractors. The second kind of major thing that seems to have caused an issue is um, the debate over vetting. Okay, so um, in sometime in 2020, PA began to um, impose pretty strict um, vetting requirements on prospective members. So they required prospective members to do some sort of interview, either over the phone or in person, to show um, some form of ID, driving license, passport, this sort of thing, and to show a kind of a proof of address in the form of a utility bill, and then to undergo a home visit by a regional organiser or an officer local to them. It's quite a kind of you know stringent uh degree of vetting and according to smith and his detractors collett wanted to relax this um and you know this seem would seem to make sense particularly you know if you look at where par in, in 2023 this year they've or certainly at the start of this year they kind of pivoted towards street protests in a big way, uh, protesting around these so-called migrant hotels and against, uh, you know, a number of drag events. And this was exposing them to, you know, a whole new cohort of activists that were not necessarily dedicated, ideologically committed fascists or neo-Nazis, but nevertheless, you know, perhaps were interested in joining, joining PA. And, you know, the problem that Collette's got is that he's potentially got all of these new potential recruits, but, you know, not many of these people 
are going to be willing to undergo this this same level of vetting. And it seems like on the back of this, he wanted to, uh, you know, relax the, the vetting requirements for PA and, you know, maybe introduce some, some sort of tiered uh, vetting system where people get different levels of access to the organisation depending on how strictly vetted they are. Yeah, um, I mean, I can see why... Like if you're like an ordinary punter, or then I can see why a home visit by someone you don't know would would really put you off. Yeah, just the other thing to say is that um, so the reason that we know all of this is because there are kind of two leaked meetings, uh, one from kind of emergency meeting called by the PA leadership uh, for kind of PA activists and members, and the other uh, called by. Kenny Smith and the detractors that would go on to form the Homeland Party. And uh, what there's a few kind of, you know, interesting things that, you know, we had some idea of, but it, it's still kind of interesting to hear it firsthand that came out from these meetings. So the first is that um, these, the, these vetting measures that were imposed by PA's leadership actually significantly hampered their ability to grow and some people that were committed activists were forced out of the organization because for whatever reason they're unwilling to sort of share their id with with pa right so pa keep keep uh scans or photos of people's ids on records and people were worried about that potentially being leaked uh not necessarily without good reason although that's another that's another issue uh the second thing that was kind of interesting to hear was the the level of kind of terror of amongst PA's leadership and activist base around you know being confronted by anti-fascists and the support for these really kind of strict vetting measures as a way to insulate them from their events being disrupted from their events being opposed. You know, Kenny Smith talks at length in this uh, leaked Homeland audio about how much he values what he calls a high trust community, that he thinks the only way that this can be ensured is through these strict vetting measures. So that was kind of really interesting to hear, I think. Um, you know, how have, yeah, so we've talked a bit about how PA responded in their arguments, but how else have PA responded to um, to this split in particular? I mean, yeah, so the first response that we had was Colette um, calling this emergency meeting. Uh, if, you, if you're interested, that you can find the audio of this on, on YouTube. I believe it's on uh, Chris Mitchell's YouTube channel, um, friend of the podcast. Um, also a committed fascist, a far-right activist, we should, we should point out. <laughs> And the only person to uh, do DMT at a Tommy Robinson uh, demo. Who? So, yeah. <laughs> legend. Um, King. So this meeting is kind of Colette and uh, Laura Melia kind of desperately trying to reassure their activists that everything is in order, nothing's gone wrong, and it definitely hasn't been a split. And simultaneously um kind of call it kind of whining and pleading for activists to stay with pa um you know he claims that smith's defection really had to do with smith demanding a kind of paid role um within pa as the party manager um 
So that that was the kind of initial response. But since then, what we've seen is what looks like increasingly kind of desperate attempts on 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 the part of PA and its leadership in particular to make what remains of the organisation look bigger and look more active than it actually is. So we've seen uh, PA's leaders and PA's activists travelling to adjacent regions to sort of boost numbers on their events. Um, other regions that are sort of in, in more far-flung areas of the UK, like the southwest and southeast, are, you know, whereas these, whereas prior to the split, these would have, you know, activists in double digits out on their events. Now they're kind of sharing these quite sad images of, you know, it'll be a, a one Nazi doing a litter pick as if this is some kind of, you know, uh, achievement worth celebrating. Um, recently, we've seen the PA leadership attend uh, what was kind of promoted as a nationalist unity conference organised by a pretty tiny uh you know, one-time PA splinter group called the Independent Nationalist Network. And, you know, this is the sort of thing that PA's leadership would have shunned in the past, but now they're kind of being forced to attend these, you know, uh, smaller events and build bridges from a position of weakness, really. It's difficult to work out how PA are doing because of this kind of, I suppose, relentless um, cheerleading that the leadership are doing right now. Um, How do you kind of pass through that noise and work out what's actually going on? Yeah, it's a good question because, um, you know, it's very clear that they, the PA's leadership has, has really no interest in, in being honest with its activists about, you know, how, how successful or unsuccessful the, their organization is, is, is doing right um they're basically you know they have this kind of constant booster attitude where they uh, talk up everything everything's going great we're going from strength to strength you know they talk about having ten thousand people on their on their mailing list like as if they're all sort of active supporters you know completely ridiculous um you know and i think it is important to emphasize that for for everything that can be said about patriotic alternative and other groups like you know homeland these are still in the grand scheme of things tiny uh, organizations uh, which isn't to say that they can't uh, be dangerous in all sorts of ways um, but we should you know be- always bear that in mind so yeah you know coming back to this question of how do we sort of pass through the, the bullshit um, you know we know that PA's leadership lie habitually about everything, but particularly about the success of their own organization. And so, you know, we have to look to open source methods and things like surveillance that allow us to verify for ourselves, you know, things like their capacity and their growth in different regions. Um, You know, I think what PA's leadership is saying to its members is still worth paying attention to, not because it sort of reflects any sort of objective reality about, uh, you know, how things are going on the British far right, but it tells us about, you know, their messaging, um, morale, you know, what they're telling different audiences, you know, what, what they want their own activist base to believe. Having said that, up until recently, 
um, it is the case that they have been relatively modest and tended not to exaggerate numbers of attendees at their events. But <laughs> what we've seen since this split is that that started to change. And, you know, they're using uh, photographs, for instance, of former PA activists that have since defected to Homeland uh, from, you know, some time ago and posting them as if these are, you know, uh, new and ongoing PA events to try and give the appearance that they are more active and their activists are more numerous than they actually are. I mean, I mean obviously that reflects the fact that they're no longer the only game in town anymore. They've got a rival in Homeland. They've got other splinters as well. And so they can't, you know, before they could be like, well, we're growing, we're small, but we're building this movement back up. Now they're like, well, we've got to be out competing. Um, these are the guys who have defected from us. Yeah, I mean, it might be worth uh, talking a little bit about about Homeland and what they, how they think they're going to, disti- you know, distinguish themselves from from PA. So, essentially, um, this yeah, Homeland, as we've already mentioned, it's, it's being led by uh, Kenny Smith, who's the the former kind of national administration officer for PA effectively he was the kind of um one of their key organizers behind the scenes and he seems to have also been involved in their physical security efforts at their events but also their kind of uh, albeit quite bad uh, counter surveillance efforts also it's probably good to point out that he was a key figure in the BMP as well along with along with Collect. a key figure in the BMP but also a key figure within the BMP split and he's widely suspected amongst uh, or across the far right as being behind the leak of the BNP membership list in the uh, in the 2000s. Um, so it is also worth noting that he was tasked within PA of being in charge of PA's membership list and of keeping hold of all of those uh, documents that were scanned and photographed as part of their vetting process. So who knows, you know, Maybe that would be leaked in due course. It'd be great if it was. <laughs> uh, I bet you'd love that. Yeah, I was going to say. Kenny, uh, you, you know, you know our phone number. Um, how so? Kenny's Kenny Smith has detracted um, and taken with him a majority of PA's regional organisers. So these are the leaders of the regions such as you know East Midlands, West Midlands etc etc um he's also taken with him a number i think a majority i'll have to uh look at our report on this but um a majority of their below regional organizers within pa's structure there were kind of officer roles so each region would have a security officer a social officer a fitness officer so a large number of these have also defected to homeland so i mean this is one thing that i want to make clear um you know, so, some people have said that, you know, Homeland's a, a, a new organisation. We need to wait and see how how much of a threat it's going to pose. But actually, uh, we would maybe argue instead that it's, it doesn't really make sense to think of it as a new organisation. It's, you know, effectively uh, a lot of people that are already in PA have got the experience. There's, you know, it's effectively kind of poaching a large number of or a large part of PA's existing structure and turning that into a, you know, trimmed down organization with slightly different priorities and aims. So 
what are those what are those priorities what does homeland want to do differently well they have said that their kind of number one objective is to register as a electoral sorry register as a political party with the electoral commission in order that they could start fielding candidates and contesting elections um there's always there's also kind of you know there's a few interesting things that smith and other people say in the leaked audio from this homeland meeting uh you know they talk about you know electoralism isn't the only way to do community politics and it will be interesting to see you know how their activists go about uh organizing you know in other ways but essentially they want to set themselves apart from pa by you know doing away with the online streaming uh doing away with kind of internally looking community building they've already got the cadre of activists and now they want to start building uh power political power at uh kind of local and regional levels how successful they'll be at doing this remains to be seen but i think you know they don't necessarily have to be electorally successful in order to um be effective in you know have other implications for the the far right and British politics more broadly. And of course, when we're discussing about kind of electoral politics, we keep we have to keep in mind, I suppose, the benchmark, uh, the high watermark of, of the UK far right, which was the British National Party in electoral terms. You know, we've got kind of a million votes, you know, two MEPs, uh, almost controlled um, a council, and, and, and the, you know, leverage great power within particular towns and boroughs and regions as well and there's no reason why you know why this couldn't be the case again or at least some semblance towards it again and and we have to keep that in mind i think yeah okay so um i mean it yeah i agree and i think it's worth mentioning that you know in addition to his role within within pa and now homeland smith also uh owns and operates uh a kind of fascist uh, publishing house called Claymore Books and one of the I think three uh, books they've published is um, it's called How It Was Done um, The Rise of Burnley BMP The Inside Story and it's clear that uh, Smith wants to emulate the success of the BMP you know he's he's by publishing and promoting this book he's telling his activists, you know, read this and understand how we can replicate the successes of this, you know, particular BMP branch that he's holding up as being a success story. And of course, we covered um, that particular story from the other side, from the other point of view in a previous episode, and we'll link that one in the show notes as well. Um, okay, moving on from Homeland, I think, um, there's been another splinter uh, from PA led by an interesting fellow called Alec Yerbury. Um, he is now, let me get it up. He is now the head of a, a group called the National Support Detachment, which is a very interesting name. Um, and they recently held a, a demonstration in Leeds, which was opposed by um, anti-fascists. Um, it didn't seem to have any particular kind of topic or kind of thing it was opposing. What, what's your impression of Alec Yerbury and what's he trying to do with this national detachment thing? Yeah, he's he's an odd uh, guy, um, to say the least. So he was, I believe, part of the P 
PA's Yorkshire region. Uh, he gave speeches at a number of PA events, uh, conferences and and uh, demonstrations. And yeah, he's an oddball because he kind of always wears this um, sort of military style uh, sweatshirt and more recently has started uh, dressing. You know, he's attracted a lot of a lot of uh, news attention because he, he wears this kind of ridiculous uh, leather jacket and has this sort of Mosley style moustache and slip back hair. So, uh, you know, they've, the, the number of outlets have been quick to point out that he, he dresses like Hitler. Um, and you know, he's just a, he's just a very unusual, uh, strange guy all around. So, you know, it's quite the immediate reaction from a number of people when he started this new group was to dismiss it out of hand and be like, oh, this is a joke. But he seems to have been, uh, you know, maybe a slightly more savvy uh, political operator than people would give him credit for because he's been able to pull uh, a number of quite disparate groups from across the far right around him uh, for a number of events. And he still has maintained links with with PA, you know, he's not necessarily on on bad terms with the PA leadership. Uh, if anything, you know, this this split, if you want to call it that, it's more to do with strategic differences. So, you know, so uh, I believe at the weekend there were a number of uh, British movement activists out supporting Yerbury's um, group. There were a number of kind of elements of the football hooligan milieu. I think some Chelsea headhunters uh, travelled to attend the demo. Uh, you know, yeah. And he's recently been kind of flyering with PA. But what is this this group? Yeah, National Support Detachment. Um, now, originally, like, when this first started, it was kind of badged up as a, as a new EDL. This was the kind of first uh, description that we saw of it, which is kind of funny because... The EDL is exactly what Collett has been trying to distance himself from with PA. Uh, if you if you go and uh, listen to or watch Collett's inaugural speech in the first uh, PA conference, it's very clear that it's very the impression you get is that he's watched the the kind of rise and fall of the EDL and, and learnt that actually you know in order to have any chance of success, the the far right needs to do something that looks quite different to that. Um, Actually, it seems like Yerbury wants to do something slightly different to that. He basically wants to provide a sort of paramilitary wing for um, British British far-right and fascist street protests. Um, basically, a sort of security wing for, yeah, demonstrations that otherwise wouldn't have one. And I think he's going he's gonna to have to tread quite carefully in order to um avoid you know uh being suppressed quite harshly by the state and how he goes about this um but so far yeah he's been he's kind of been more successful than a lot of onlookers thought he might be um the other thing that sort of sets him apart is his kind of rabid uh obsession and hatred with um the unions so he's talked uh in the last few days about turning up at uh, union offices, trade union offices, and, uh, you know, turning up at, at trade union pickets. So, you know, who knows how successful he'll be with that? Probably not very. But I think it's people should be aware to the threat that, you know, we've moved from a, a position where 
you know, a couple of years ago, prior to when, prior to the beginning of PA, fascist, you know, a proper fascist movement in, in the UK was kind of relegated to occasional poorly attended secret meetings. Now we're at a position where there's a number of different fascist groups, in some cases competing with one another, but in other cases having a sort of mutually beneficial reinforcing effect. And they are attending and staging their own protests on a sort of monthly, if not weekly basis around the country. And we're it looks like we are now entering an era where it's not only that, but they are going to start challenging uh, left-wing protests and events as well. So, you know, for all, as much as we can say that Alec Yerbury is a freak and, you know, uh, dresses like Hitler, um, we shouldn't lose lose sight of how quickly things have changed in a relative, relatively short time span. Yeah, it seems to be a, a, a turning, a targeting of left-wing meetings, whereas before, you know, you had a, a, a particular issue, for example, um, migration, uh, migrants' rights, or the right of migrants to apply for asylum in this country, and you'd have the far right attacking that concept or picketing migrant hotels or invading hotels, and you have the left opposing that activity. And it seems now there's the possibility that there'll be a, a turn away from well, that's still still to happen, but a more direct targeting of left-wing organising more generally, like unions, but also just left political parties, left groups, meetings, anti-raids, all this kind of stuff is now becoming a target in a way that it wasn't before. Um, do you think that's a possibility? I mean, this is already happening. You know, we've seen... Um, so, Yerbury's demonstration... Uh, it. I mean, it wasn't just his his organisation that was involved in this demonstration at the weekend, but the it was the messaging around it was sort of quite ambiguous and, and aimless, but it was also kind of oriented towards the what they see as the kind of left wing, that you know, hegemonic left wing kind of dominance in in the UK, and they're saying you know we've had enough of this, so we need to sort of start fighting back. In addition to this, we've had in recent weeks Turning Point UK turn up to an anti-racist meeting in South London and trying to trying of bailing to disrupt it, but nevertheless, you know that's that's kind of a, a new development. Um, and you know the most recent thing I've seen is that another group has threatened to picket um, some sort of socialist event at a university. In, in central London. So I think this, this turn towards back towards the targeting of the left is already in motion. Um, and yeah, we'll see where it goes from here, I think. Okay. Um, I guess the last few questions to finish up. Um, and since we've got you here, um, I thought I'd ask you about this one. You know, some of the first subjects of Red Flare and indeed one of the subjects of an early podcast of this of this show was the now, was like a now defunct fascist podcast called the absolute state of britain which you know is still a really great name for a really terrible podcast um you've basically exposed every single one of these guys they were all anonymous uh, and one by one they have fallen um the the first one of these was a guy called ryan ryan williams who who went on the pseudonym nativist concern who we've discussed at length and is a very funny bloke similar to alec yerbury um 
extremely anti-Semitic, desperate for a wife, and seemingly incapable of getting one. Um, Williams recently got arrested by counter-terror police. Um, first of all, what can you tell us about this arrest? Is he in trouble? And what do you think this kind of impact has on this kind of this kind of state of repression? What kind of impact does it have on the ethno-nationalist scene? Yeah, I mean, it is worth pointing out that Williams is also a compulsive liar. So he claims to have been subjected to a Schedule 7 t- search under the Terrorism Act when he arrived recently arrived back in the UK uh, from Eastern Europe where he says he's been looking for a wife <laughs> um, and, and presumably failing to find one. Um, we know that this isn't the first encounter that he's had with the British state's counterterrorism apparatus. We know that he's previously been visited by prevent engagement officers, as have uh, a large number of other PA activists. Um, But it's also worth pointing out that Williams isn't the only person within PA's orbit that has, you know, been subject to state repression recently. So another kind of founding um, TASOB podcast host, um, and the leader of a, a kind of fascist fitness group called White Stag Athletic Club. Uh, Ash Sharp is currently on remand for terrorism offences. Uh, Chris Kearney, who I believe we've previously discussed, uh, goes by the or went by the online pseudonym Charlie Big Potatoes, who is another former TASOB host, also a former National Action member, and was PA's uh, national fitness organiser. He's also on remand for terrorism offences. And in fact, he was extradited from Spain by British counterterrorism police. There's also uh, James Allchurch, uh, who went by the online pseudonym Sven Longshanks. He was the operator of the fascist radio website, uh, radio originally called Radio Aryan, uh, recently, later renamed Radio Albion, I believe, on Collette's recommendation. Uh, so Allchurch also did the sound at, at PA's conferences. He booked venues for PA's events under under his name, but using false pretenses. He'd say things like, it's for a book club. He's recently been sentenced to prison for hate crimes relating to uh, some of the material that he broadcasts on his podcasts. Um, and Sam Melia, the husband of PA's deputy leader, Laura Melia, and the still current PA Yorkshire regional organiser is also currently on bail for hate crimes relating to his 100 handers stickering campaign. So all of this is to say that PAR, you know, the state is applying pressure in quite a sort of targeted way to presumably these people that it sees as kind of key organizers within PA. It's worth pointing out that, you know, for instance, the offenses that Kearney is currently on remand for, we know that a number of other PA activists have shared the same material that he's been charged with um, sharing, but they've not been picked up by counterterrorism police. You know, I'm not that familiar with how, how, the police and the legal system in this country work, but it seems that they're going about it quite in quite a deliberate, targeted manner in order to apply pressure to PA as an organisation. And I'm speculating a little bit here, um, but you know, it's it's worth. It's, I think we it's worth being aware that you know 
the state is applying pressure to to PA and it presumably will continue to apply pressure to these other organizations as 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 we move from PA being the kind of sole um organization within the kind of ethno-nationalist far right to more of a sort of you know ecosystem of different organizations and i think collet is is quite wary of prescription you know he's seen what happened to national action um you know he was moving in the same sort of circles as as those act- activists before and after their prescription uh, but he's also quite arrogant and i think this arrogance is demonstrated by for instance his willingness to let a num a number of former national action members and supporters into pa uh is also like another kind of thing that reveals his arrogance is his willingness to align pa with the absolute state of britain uh podcast which you know collette's been very careful um in all of his kind of his streams and his output not to say anything illegal uh, I believe he has a solicitor look over the script of all of his uh, videos that aren't live streams to make sure that they are not only legal, but within the kind of um, terms and conditions of w- whatever platform he's uploading them to. Um, you can't say the same about the Absolute State of Britain podcast. There is all sorts of, you know, hate speech, um, support for uh, terrorism on there. You know, it's, it's pretty relentless. And I mean, it, we should also mention that in the wake of Kearney's arrest by counterterrorism police, the presumably the remaining hosts of TASOB kind of rushed to remove all of the episodes from everywhere where they were available online. But don't worry, guys, we've got them all saved. Um, and more importantly, so does the British yeah, state as well. You would presume that the... <laughs> MI5 or counterterrorism police also have them saved. Um, so I can't remember. I've lost my train of thought here. <laughs> that, yeah, the state is applying pressure, and um, I'm. I don't think that PA is at risk of prescription, but um, the case can it. it becoming more and more likely that they might be prescribed or there's there is a stronger case for prescription should the state wish to do so at some point in the future the more and more of its activists are you know are convicted for terrorism offenses um so yeah who know who knows and i think you know um it by the way you know i don't think that pa necessarily has to do anything dramatically different from what it's already doing in order for it to be prescribed. Um, I mean, it also, just yeah. on a, a, a side point, really, you know, oftentimes it's the state works on precedent setting. So, if, for example, National Action was the first kind of UK domestic to England, not leaving aside um, all the stuff that's happening in the north of Ireland. Um, but, you know, the far right um, UK um, group to be prescribed ever. And once that person's been set, it opens the door for further prescription. Of course, national action was only prescribed once they started making threats against Parliament and against MPs. And, you know, for all their kind of, all their hate speech and all their kind of fascism, uh, PA haven't really made that kind of direct threat that national action have to MPs or to, like, public figures in that way. So 
that could be some some mark but also there are you know more liberal anti-fascist groups more liberal kind of pressure groups that are pushing for prescription of pa and will be you know in contact with decision makers in parliament decision makers in the in the state bureaucracy in order to try and get this happening too so it, it i I, mean, I tend to agree with you that prescription is is, is still not likely but it, it's becoming more of a possibility i mean i think just last thing to say on this is that ultimately it, it's prescription is always a political decision and it, it will be a political decision if and when it happens with PA. Um, you know, it's also worth mentioning that the UK has some of the most draconian and expansive and uh, broad and widely interpretable counterterrorism legislation in the world. So, for instance, just going back to uh, the guys we mentioned that are currently on remand for uh, so-called terrorism offences, what they're actually uh, allegedly guilty of is sharing, you know, PDFs that, you know, terrorist manifestos, this sort of thing. They're not accused of, um, you know, carrying out or planning any actual acts of political violence. Uh, it's just that um, UK counterterrorism legislation is so broad that they can be, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think I think our critiques of of the British counter terror policy could take up a, a a whole series of episodes in itself. So we'll probably leave that leave that question for now. Um, just to finish up, um, what kind of stuff has RF got coming up in the future? Oof, you'll have to wait and see. Um, we've got a <laughs> we've, we're putting a website together at the moment, so if we can finally move uh, move off off Twitter as our main. Uh, our main source of sharing information it's long overdue and we've got another uh we're we're gonna hopefully launch that with another expose of a, a particularly high profile uh figure on the british far right but I, I won't say anything more about that for now intriguing you can you can tell me off there I, I won't tell anyone i promise um where can people find rf uh you can find us at on every social media platform at Red Flare Info or our website is uh, redflare.info. And there's also, um, sorry to do your job for you, but there's a really handy mailing list you can sign up to on the website, um, which presumably every time you publish, will you'll get an email out um, into your inbox. Yes. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Um, if you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon. Um, obviously, please share this around recommend it to your friends um, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye. All right. Nice one. Nice. Join us for Kite Line, a weekly radio program on Channel Zero Network that focuses on issues in the prison system. With over 50 episodes already released, you can hear informative and riveting stories about the impact of prisons on people both inside and outside of the prison walls and how they fight back. KiteLine is intended as means of communication between people across prison walls. Our goal at KiteLine is to amplify the voices of those within the prison system while encouraging dialogue with those on the outside. Hear us on the Channel Zero network and visit our website for more information or previous episodes at kitelineradio.noblogs.org.